I've watched you and, and the way that your work has evolved. And there's a document that has intrigued me. And it's a document that no engineer would write. It's your manifesto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, how, who, what did the engineer end up writing the manifesto? I think end it's the other way that. around. The manifesto guy became an engineer, maybe. <laughs> Hello, my name is Luis de Oliveira, founder of Dalspada, and this is A Place to Talk. We are meeting Magnus Vassberg in the Estermalm neighborhood of Stockholm, in what was once his family's business showroom. Magnus is founder of Vassberg, a highly respected Swedish lighting company, and he shared with us the ups and downs of starting a brand. So let's get right to it. Hey Magnus, we've got history. We go back as friends and acquaintances for what? 15 years, I think, because it's tied to the moment that you enter the world of lighting. Yeah, or re-entered maybe, actually. <laughs> hey, so tell me about that. You worked within a family business, left and then came back? No, more like I grew up in the lighting industry. My father being in the lighting industry and with companies developing and producing lighting. And then I decided not to go down that route. So I studied business administration at uh, university. And then went up to work in the more consultancy world. But at the time that we met the first time, I had had an early personal crisis, I guess. Uh, very quickly finding out that this corporate world was not really for me. Can I ask you to hit pause? <laughs> Tell me about the corporate world. No, but I mean... Very briefly, what did you not like? I guess growing up in a family an entrepreneurial family and always been interested in, in making things and, and developing things and uh, kind of from beginning to end in a way, I kind of didn't feel comfortable in, in, a, in a situation or a world where you were actually a, a small part of a big, big thing and, and only... In English, we say small cog in a big machine, right? Okay, yeah. And you're like, no way. So for me, I really want to be involved. I wouldn't say have control, but at least have an overview and, a, and an insight and an understanding of the whole rather than, than being a very specialist in a small part. So um, I think that's basically What it. brought you back. Yeah. And also, I mean, already at that time I was, I was working quite a lot and I really wanted to work with something that felt fulfilling and meaningful and, and fun. And growing up in this, let's say, product design, lighting, architecture, interior architecture, that always stuck with me. And, and even if I started business administration, the, the things I was reading for myself and not only for studies was always the, the architecture magazines and all the books about design and designers and architects. And so when I understood that this kind of direction I took from university and onwards was not the one I really wanted to do, I started thinking about what I really wanted to do. And I came to the conclusion that I, I wanted to do something for myself, starting my own business. And I wanted to be within the field of product development, lighting, architecture, interior architecture. And that was my father with his company. So um, I figured that if I start working with my father, he can really learn me the business properly. And then I can start my own, hopefully, if I have. And how long? So this is the bit that I don't know much about. How mm -hmm. long were you formally 
with your dad in the business that he was running. Well, and that must have been years or months. No, years, years. I think I started like 2001 or something. And then I started my own company or I launched my own company in 2008. So that was like six, seven years. Okay. Yeah. Enough to learn the ropes. Yeah. And I did quite a lot of things or maybe everything. I did sales, I did product development, marketing, all of everything basically. And travel with my father, visiting. I mean, I did that as a kid, visiting factories and daughter companies and distributors and, and everything. So I really saw that as a kid with a kid's perspective. And then I went back and really tried to learn it and understand the full uh, spectrum of running a company within this world and business you, that we're in. You know, when I look at my own efforts and don't want to dwell too much on this, but I have a period of my life where I felt there was a huge amount of trial and error. And many times I wish I had started what I do much later. And I'm mm -hmm. listening to you and I'm saying, Magnus found the shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say because I kind of had to relearn quite a bit. <laughs> so, I mean, it's good. But it helped. It helped a lot. And I think it helps for having this, let's say, gut feeling and this kind of intuition uh, about things. On the other hand, my father was in a totally different part of the business. So a lot of the things that I learned from him I understand now that, hey, maybe I should have done this another way. But again, I think with a lot of things, if you have a couple of different perspectives, uh, it takes a bit of time, but uh, sooner or later you form your own way and your own path of doing things. But of course, it helps to have a couple of other perspectives. And and that's what the six years did, right? Yeah, they gave yeah, insight yeah. And, into and that world. Up actually, as well, I think uh, I, I saw a lot of things and were a part of, of a lot of the things that I do today already as a kid. And I think... I had a different perspective as a kid seeing these things than I had when working with my father. And now I have like a third perspective when I'm actually doing it myself. So, and again, all the people I met both as a kid and working for my father and now with my own company, it's, it's very valuable to be able to merge and combine all these this, the experiences. Uh, experiences. Yeah, exactly. So I know that, okay, I, I called it a shortcut and you've tried to push <laughs> me away saying it wasn't a complete shortcut. There were many things that had to be adjusted yeah. and, and relearned or, or looked at in a different way. But I'm going to throw at you a little bit of fun, a little bit of polemic. And I'm going to say this from the point of view of a guy who is in the world of furniture and looks at the world of lighting with, I guess, wonder, right? And that's the fact that you guys have had a good few years in the sense that there's been technological change through LEDs that have allowed for not only new lighting, but also encourage people to invest in the energy saving side of LEDs, right? And something happened as well in the world of interiors where lighting somehow became a priority, an important thing. So I call that wind in your sails. Yeah. That the wind has been blowing your direction and the good ship lighting has been heading off into the sunset. Yeah. Do you feel that? Yeah. Or do sometimes you think it's just a guy from furniture looking at you and saying, the grass is greener in the neighbor's lawn? You're definitely partly right. And... I mean, undoubtedly, we're we're in the middle of a technology shift, and that always creates opportunities. But obviously, there's also a lot of complications to go with that. I would say, like you, actually, I think what we have been doing is is to a large extent being both quick to learn and quick to 
use this technology shift because we came in at a time where where actually i mean if you're talking about leds for example we came in at a time where when that was actually good enough to start using the kind of applications so, so that o- we did so 08 was an inflection point it was a point where the technology became maybe a couple manageable. years earlier but i would say that was quite a good time for, to start actually and we don't we don't have any can I Any remind problem? you of the global financial crisis? <laughs> Did that still make it a good time to start? That's uh, maybe not the perfect, but making it through that uh, as a young company was quite educational, definitely. But I mean, from a technology point of it view, was it the was right good moment. to come up without any you know, you know, inherited structures or a outdated product portfolio or, or anything like that. And also, uh, I mean, a small company, but with a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, network uh, we could move quite fast with new technology. And really, I think that has been at the core of my ambition all the time to to be uh, a new kind of lighting company and a, a new kind of player in the lighting industry. Because I, when I was working for my father, I identified a couple of core cornerstones for my own business. And, and, and one of them was that I thought that the lighting industry was a very, very conservative industry. And um, that might sound like a strange thing to say about an industry with so much technology uh, advancements. But what I mean is that there is a very conservative way of how you approach and how you use new technology. That was actually one of the, the things that I was really trying to do from the first stage of the company. Traditionally, I would say that the lighting company often is presented to a new technique or a new component or a new uh, light source or whatever. And the company would take this ready component and say, hey, what do we do with this? Let's build something build around something. it. Yeah. What can we do with this? And and I have always been of the opinion that you should do quite the opposite, that you have an opportunity or a problem or a ID, and then you use technology to realize that. I see that uh, as a source of a whole can of worms because I can see you guys looking at a fabulous lamp and saying, <laughs> we have no idea where to put the light source or how to fit it in. Yeah, we, we've always started with, and I mean, that's, for me, that's, that is a, a design, challenge. That a design process starts with solving a problem or asking a question or something for me, and then you, you solve it or, or, or create something. And many times I am of the opinion that you don't start with the, the results or, or the what you want to accomplish, you start with a component <laughs> and then you try to make out what to do with it. For me, that's totally wrong. So for me, we always started with... Um, uh, Create the final product, the thing that yeah, what you live with. Do? What, I mean, we want to do a certain kind of light for a certain kind of situation. And how do we accomplish that? And lighting technology is one part of a lamp. The other one could be... I mean, a mechanical solution or, or whatever. And, and and that's like, that comes later. You don't start in the components or the technology. You start in, in an idea of what you want to do or improve. You said something that caught my attention. And it's the fact that you said LEDs are great, Luis, and they've driven the industry and driven my business, but they're problems. And then you moved on. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go right back to the problems. Oh, what, so, it, what are the problems? Educate me. As with any technology shift, there's everything is new. I'm not... Always a big fan of standardization, but but for many, many, many decades, lighting was kind of standardized. There was certain kind of light sources and there were certain kind of electronic components and, and everyone was quite was com- comfortable yeah. with kind of building stones you had. Now that is all turned upside down. There is 
immense opportunities and immense variations of how to do things, which means that you can more or less do anything in a way. And of course, that creates problems because especially the customers rightfully don't feel comfortable maybe in, in a certain solution or a certain technology. Can you exchange the light bulb? It's the fact that the technology is changing so fast that you can't really go back and replace parts, right? That's is Well, that a, you can is that... if, if, you, if you are, I mean, and, and that coming back to being left out to a limited amount of building stones, everyone was comfortable and, and, and recognized what, what, what it was. And they were reliable. Reliable as well. Right, because they've been tested thoroughly. And But now uh, you really need to be, and that's, that's what's, I wouldn't say a problem, but it makes it more complex. I would say that it's so much harder to develop and create a good lamp today than it was 10, 15 years ago. It's, it's so much harder because... You really need to think about all these things. For example, a lamp today is not an electrical product it's an electronic product if you're working with leds for example and that means that just like in the computer world for example that the development is so fast and the components that you use today might not be around in five years so what happens then if a lamp breaks down and the components that you used yes are no longer around that's, that's the problem that i can see so if you don't in a Think world carefully where... about this when developing your product and make sure that you can actually replace it with new components in 5 or 10 or 15 years time then you're in trouble and especially your customers are in trouble so that's just one example so just navigating that is a navigating perfect example this and, and, of and being the able challenges to, to really really think through everything and make a product that is durable over time and that can be and, and I mean, the the other side of it is that it's fantastic. I mean, we can. I mean, some of our products are now on their third generation. I mean, they've been of in, of improvement. Yeah, I guess. improved three times. And I'm a big believer in 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 not only creating new, 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 but rather to, better, to refine, better, refine, better. refine, refine, refine what you have. And and I mean, for us, it's it's. I think it's wonderful to be able to to revisit your, your products every second year and refine them, refine them, refine them, uh, and not only by changing a little bit in the in the looks or the radius of a button or something, but really actually rethinking the whole lighting solution even, which is a bless. But it again, is. A, again, a curse in disguise as well, but yeah, a blessing. That's what I mean. It's You need to really navigate it cleverly and with a long-term view. And if you do that, then it's a blessing. But But if you don't do that, then it can be a disaster as well. Listen, I just spotted a rabbit hole. You know what a rabbit hole is? No, I don't. It's you know, you know Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. And the rabbit goes through the hole, and Alice follows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and you don't know what's down the hole, right? <laughs> okay. And so I spotted a hole, and I'm going to have a whole lot of fun going down it. And it's the fact <laughs> that I'm listening to you. Well, come on down. Let's see how it goes. And I'm listening to you, and I'm saying it's an engineer that's speaking. It's a technical guy. It's a guy who. A moment ago, I was discussing the complexities of the constant progress of uh, you've seen the world of LEDs, right? And yet, I have watched you and and the way that your work has evolved. And there's a document that has intrigued me, and it's a document that no engineer would write. It's your manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> what? How? Who? What? Did the engineer end up writing the manifesto? And it's we don't need to read it out here. We don't need to. But it's like it's almost like the manifesto of the Communist Party of Light. <laughs> yeah. How did you? I think end it's up the other way that? around. The manifesto guy became an engineer, maybe, <laughs> because I think I am very far from an engineer. 
both as a person and, and from training and everything. But products interest me a lot. And now you're, you're right. But I think, again, that's maybe the, the background and, and my history of being in this world for a very long time in very various ages and, and, and various um, positions or, or situations. Because what I'm talking about now with, with was lots, one of the main starting points of Vespa was that I really didn't want to talk about the technology side. And I was so used I do to humbly it. apologize for making you go on, <laughs> no, and on no, about I, LEDs. But for what a while. I say is that when I started the company, I wrote the manifesto because I wanted to talk about lighting in another way. I didn't want to talk about the lux and the lumens and the this and the that. I wanted to talk about lighting in a totally different way because no one was doing it, in my opinion. Everyone was just, because it's easy going in, measuring, talking about static measuring values and stuff. And I wanted to talk about the more human side of light, how we as humans have been relating and living with light for all times. And, and if you think about it, I mean, fire was the only artificial light we had for hundreds and hundreds of millions of years, actually. So for, for the benefit of our listeners, I'll paraphrase <laughs> in a humorous manner your manifesto. And I think he goes, please do correct me if I'm wrong, Magnus, okay. but yeah. it's caveman is in cave and having a jolly good time with fire, which is an amazing source of light. Uh, from there onwards, everything goes kind of uh, south, right? Because the quality of light gets worse and worse and worse. And bingo, we're in the modern ages. And along comes, uh, can I dare say it, Magnus, and says, let's bring back light to where it once was. Is this a good summary? Of yeah, I think. And, and I mean, it's called Lamps for Neanderthal Man. And yes, you're right. But one of the main points, I think, is that light used to have mean a lot more to us going back hundreds, 200, 300,000 years than it does today. Because light in the source of a fire used to be something that scared animals away, that kept us warm, that brought us together. So it had a fundamental significance. Yeah. Right? And it, it, it was extremely said, it, important it, to it people. It was that. extremely important. And it was important in so many more ways than it is today. Today is basically a tool for turning night into day, more or less. And oh, I like it, that. I'm going to remember it. And it's a bit like with food or cooking. And just because there are advances in technology, we seem to dismiss wisdom and hard lessons that our forefathers did by hard work and failures and, and trials. And just because there's a microwave of them, we throw away all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the techniques and all the, uh, just because we can, can use a microwave oven. And, and uh, for me, doing that, in that process, we lose a lot of untouchable qualities. And, and it's the same with light. Uh, by forgetting about the importance of light, not only as a means of turning night to day, we lost the quality of light. We lost our inner relationship to light. And by coming back to that, we can actually add a lot of quality. Tell me what is quality of light? This is you, you've mentioned it already two or three times. I, mean, I, think, I, I think that's you said be, this has been lost. It what, can be what many things. Lost? I mean, quality can be a, a, a measurement, but th that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the more human sides of it. So, for example, uh, a hospital corridor can have a good quality of light from a measurement point of view, and then I guess the most of us will will prefer a dimly lit restaurant environment to a statically lit hospital corridor. 
even if the hospital corridor is made by all the rules and regulations and qualities, it doesn't make us feel good on the opposite. Whereas this kind of dimly lit restaurant environment makes us feel better. It makes us feel actually even safer, calmer. If you don't mind me saying so, we also look better. Okay, that's another benefit. I didn't think yes, about that. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'll oh, add that to the list. That's the secret of, of Sweden. Uh, you guys look great because you're all in dimly lit restaurants. <laughs> shady, shady people. No, I didn't say that. Uh, but uh, no, so that's, I mean, what I was reacting against was the way that the business talked about light and how they valued light and how they define quality good lighting quality and i think there's so much more that maybe doesn't have to do with the actual fixture but more how we do general lighting solutions you mentioned a hospital i do apologize for interrupting you but i've been holding the thought of hospital a moment ago and you actually it was a very apt description of how a corridor can look grim even in a building that's doing a lot of good right and it reminded me that one of the first partnerships you struck in terms of people that worked with you on the design side of the business was Ilsa Crawford. Yeah. And she does tell a story, and perhaps she will correct me if, if I'm wrong on the facts, of how her perception of design was affected by time spent in a hospital. And I'll summarize it by saying that she didn't agree with it, and it didn't feel good, and it could do with a lot of improvement. Was that what brought you guys together? Were you aware of her kind of interest in, I guess, quality of life? Because what you're saying is light brings you quality of life, right? The right light. And Ilse says the same thing. Mm -hmm. I met Ilse even before I started the company. And I think, yes, that was part of what really attracted me to her, her way of looking because the reality at the is world. She, she wasn't known for product no, design I don't, so I it was really made, you went there no no i think it is that was if i'm not totally wrong i think it was the first like serial produced product she did was the lamp that we did together yeah, and that you still one do. of my first products as well no but obviously i i felt a lot of similarities in the way i was thinking about lighting and how she was or how we both were looking at the world and uh the world of, of architecture, interior architecture, lighting, furniture, so on. So uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. How does it feel to have to master the technical side? You're sounding a lot more emotional than I might have given you credit for in the past, right? Emotional in the sense, not that you're breaking down in front of me, but that this intense belief and passion and the importance of light. How does it feel now to have to balance all that passion and romance with the technical side of the business, right? Which seems to be very important. Are you getting the balance right? Yeah, I think that's that's the beauty of it. I think that's what I like. And then to add a third dimension. You like is, the fact that you're talking technical and emotional? Yeah. You're doing both things? I like both worlds. And I think there are, one is to make relevant and, I mean, really advances. I think you need to master both because, um, and I guess that was another one of these core things that I really thought a lot about when starting the company was that, generalizing that the world of lighting was was either both companies and, and, and single products were either technically focused or emotionally or aesthetically focused. And there was no one actually really doing both, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, so if you look at a, your typical Scandinavian, German, Swiss company maybe, or North European. I'm going to be cliche and say technical focused. Yeah, because often the product development process will be engineer-driven. 
So you will have an engineer steering the process. And in any situation of compromise, which you end up doing over and over again, creating a product, you will choose the engineered perspective. And you will end up with a very well-functioning product, mechanically, biting, materiality, so on and so forth. But you tend to forget about the emotional and aesthetical values. And in other parts of the world, it's kind of totally opposite. It's a more aesthetically driven and uh, aesthetically focused process where the mechanical, technical qualities will have to stand back for elegance and beauty. And my firm belief was that, like in many other parts of the world, you can actually do both. And of course, it takes a bit of more time. It would probably cost you a little bit more money. But at the end of the day, you will actually end up with a product that is both a, a tool for, for living and working and being able to make a good work. Um, and also, both as an object and as a lighting source, actually be able to create ambience and these kind of human values and emotional values that we were talking about. And I think you can do both. And that's always the effort I'm trying to do. And, and that's why I'm so interested both in the technical part and the more emotional part. I'm listening to you talk about the balance, the balance between what are two traditions or two ways of talking. And you actually said something that really interested me, which was the idea of compromise within the development of product. And I'm not going to follow that right now, but we're both here because of the design week. And one of the things that is keeps coming into my mind is what does it mean to be part of the Scandinavian design tradition today in 2019, right? And I'm sorry to let you know, you are part of that. <laughs> what does the member of the Scandinavian tradition today have to say about what Scandinavian design represents. Is it that compromise that you just Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I wouldn't maybe... Of emotion and no, technical uh, competence? Uh, rather than say compromise, I will s label it or speak it as a function of collaboration. Or I use the word balance. Yeah, but I'm, what I mean, I think there's a very nice tradition of almost solidarity, but collaboration, solidarity that, that I find in a lot of the work I do with Scandinavian and Scandinavian-minded, so to speak, people. So I think that's, that's one really, really... But what are the themes that define this design world today? You mean the Scandinavian? Again? Yes. Yeah, but I think that's... Coll the collaborative Tradition and, and, and a collaborative mindset, which includes compromising, because if you have that, you have a smoother, let's say, compromise, easier to do and compromise, I think compromise could be a really good word, actually, to make sure to make a good thing. So people want to give you a hard time will say, we're all striving for not perfect products, but products that are better, have higher levels of you know, inherent worth, and I guess are more perfect. And yet you're talking about compromise, that somehow we need to take decisions that mm. don't get us to perfection or what what is compromise but okay in, so in product i'll give you because you said I, that's I think, what defines I think you, design. the balance maybe is a better word than i but what it means that if you're doing if you're working with quite complex products and complex uh, processes you need to balance it so okay balance is a good word i use the word compromise but it's a matter of, of a really taking care of uh, all parts to be able to do 
the best whole. And to do that, you need to compromise or balance in detail to get the whole thing to actually be the best it can. Because if it becomes too much a technical product, it's not good. If it becomes too much of an emotional product, it's not good. For me, it's it, you need to really honor and respect both values if we're not talking about these two values as much. And then you need to do compromise within one of them sometimes to make the two go together in the best way. And then you add other dimensions and you end up with a lot of qualities or, or values that you really, really need to balance all of them. And then you need to do compromises within each part uh, in a way. You know, I brought up Scandinavian design, not so much because I just, a lot of people have discussed it better than I would ever do and, and, and written about it. So uh, that's really enough of Scandinavian design. But I look at the history of the last 10 years in our industry, now taking the broader industry that includes you and me and many others. And really what's been happening here has been certainly the most exciting part of the industry in my point of view as somehow Scandinavian companies have reinvented themselves, found new customers. And and it feels like it's been a story of very fast growth. I'm not going to mention names here, but there's a number of companies that have done very well and are now everywhere. I look at you and am I right to see a more patient, a more measured business a more cautious business. So you're uh, not quite within that trend. Of no, fast, that's right. That's right. We are, um, we are uh, not moving as fast as many other. I mean, we've been around for 10 years now. And uh, the first 10 years has been a lot about product development and products. And I think that takes time. And uh, that's been the focus. Because I, I wanted you to comfort me. Comfort me and tell me what is good about going slow. Or having to be patient. My my belief is that, uh, especially if you want to do the kind of products that we are doing, uh, you can't do too much at the same time when you're starting from scratch. I mean, we started from scratch. From zero. And we can only do as many products a year as we can because if we did more, we will lose the focus on each product. And it's quite complicated products. So we really need to take our time coming back to what we were discussing initially. We we're really thinking through each product and making a product that can live for a long, long time and be refined and developed over time. So that's that's one of the answers. Then I think that I come from a tradition where in Sweden especially, it's it's different, I think, in, in other parts of Scandinavia. But in Sweden, if you look at our industry, it's a lot of still a lot of family companies. There's not so much like venture capital or these kind of taking in investors and, and scaling up the business kind of uh, setups. So uh, for the benefit of our listeners, you're contrasting that with, say, Denmark, where there is a stronger culture I would say there's of, a stronger of culture investment of yes, of in course, those businesses. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I mean, for good and bad, I mean, in Sweden, I think we're sometimes a bit low horizon and, 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 and uh, not looking as much into the world that we should do, maybe. I wouldn't include myself maybe in that. But again, I think it's... it's. Um, but the end result of that is what? Smaller, more patient companies. Yes. Is that what you're saying? And, more and long-term. Again, for good and bad. More I think long-term. It's, I think... If you look at the products, I think many times that's it's good to have this patience and really work thoroughly with the products over time. On the other side, I think 
we can learn a lot about being a bit more aggressive and uh, active on the international scene. Uh, I think it's a bit too much of a domestic perspective in Sweden, but uh, I think I'm somewhere in between. We have a really international view in everything we do, but still we are in the tradition of, of really having a heavy product focus. So I'm a young guy. I'm trying to start a lighting company. Mm-hmm. Any advice? <laughs> I mean, I think this is stay the away. same answer stay away. as, as stay away uh, or no? most people will say that if I knew how much work it is, I, I would never would have done it in the first place. But on the other hand, everyone needs to have their own go and an own uh, try. But um, I think it's a lighting is quite complicated again. And I think you need to understand that world quite well. I mean, lighting can be so much. I mean, lighting can be a, a socket and a shade. So, I mean, that's lighting too. But the kind of lighting that I'm trying to do is is, is quite complicated and it is quite a complex product. And you don't wake up and uh, one day and decide to do that kind of lighting. It has been a long journey. And, and to be able to have the knowledge and the network and the resources to develop the kind of products that we do is... is um, you need to come from somewhere within the proximity of, of the business, I think, to start it. But I mean, on the other hand, I think we need more lighting companies to challenge the conservative industry. So I welcome anyone who's got who's an interest in it. But uh, yeah. But you're warning them as well. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're talking about businesses driven by passion. Yep. Right. And I've come across people who are pretty harsh on that. They say, no, businesses in the end, are not mechanical things, but they have to, I guess, focus on profit and they have to be run in a certain way. What's the argument in favor of the business run by passion? What are businesses run by passion doing for the world? I think there are two things about it. I think coming back to balance again, because, I mean, let's say I was more passion-driven when I started, or actually... The passion was more You know, I brought up heavy. passion in the sense that you said this is a very long-term business. Yeah. It is a lot more work than anybody from the outside can imagine. And so I imagine the thing that motivates you is a passion for the business. Yeah, right? sorry, I misinterpreted. So I guess you were thinking about the idea of emotion and design, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And, and But I, I was intrigued by the comment that you made about the effort that went into. Yeah, no, but I think passion is, is uh, the thing that, doesn't make it only a product or merchandise to sell. It's it's that you really put your soul into it and you really want to go that extra miles to really do. But why the why should the world can. give us a break? Why should we exist? Why should I mean the only reason why we should exist is that because that creates better products. You can be as passionate as you would like, but if if it doesn't come out uh, as a value in the end, maybe there's no reason for anyone but yourself. But um I am a strong believer that the passion as a drive makes you do better. And I mean better in every sense of the word. So I think at the end of the day, it's a competitive uh, advantage that you can't buy. So hold on, hold on. The reason for passion-driven businesses, which are usually illogical and mad and and I guess require a lot of work, is because somehow they're more competitive. Mm. (laughs) That's the business case. I think so. Because you do better. If you're, if you're passionate about what you do, you do better things. You do it in a better way and you do the result is better, I, I think, definitely. Because otherwise it's just a 
It's just a job <laughs> and it's just a product. That's really what differs between a company that lacks the passion and, and, and the company that has the passion. You know, people that are behind passion-driven businesses, they're often, I guess, they start out with an idea and they're incredibly positive, I hope. And then the real world comes yeah. and kind of knocks them down. Yeah. And they're forced to pick themselves up and plow on. And where do you find the energy for that? No, that comes to passion again. And, and uh, both because I really believe in this. And I think that there is something really good coming out of it. But also because I love it. I think it's, I wouldn't want to do anything else. And of course, I mean, it is double the satisfaction and double the fun than anything. But it's also double as tough and double as depressing at some times. But I mean, it's, uh, and again, I think it's come back to who you are. I mean, some people would never be able to or never want to live a life like me because it's very up and down, up and down, up and down. And, and for you, I guess, too. Um, no but comment. I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to have it another way because I think it's, uh, that's what You mean the highs and lows keep us alive? They make us feel alive? Yeah, and I think it's, uh, that's, I mean, contrast. It's like Swedish weather. You enjoy summer so much because you have to live through the winter here. So um, That's a good analogy. That, that makes it so much more nice with summer. <laughs> I got to remember that. <laughs> hey, um, we're wrapping up, but I'm thinking of your manifesto, mm -hmm. that moment of idealism. I don't know where you got the idea for the Neanderthal, but it, it's a document that I think is a one-off, right? Because many of other companies don't have something like that. It, I guess it is the beginning. If you were starting now, would you write it exactly the same way? No, actually I wouldn't. Because when I wrote it, it was this very strong reaction towards the hard, cold, technology side of the business and uh, somewhere along the way I, I felt that we almost especially with the products I think that we might sometimes be judged more as a aesthetical company than actually a, a technical or knowledge-based company because of the words of the manifesto because of the words and manifesto and because how we have been talking about ourselves and the products all the time which was like a reaction towards the traditional way of talking about lighting but that has actually become maybe a, a not a problem, but but I think a that, weight, a weight on yeah, you. Yeah, or more that uh, maybe people miss out on how great the products are from a technical or functional point of view. So uh, maybe I would be a little more balanced again then to talk a little bit more also about, I mean, in another way. But yeah, but again, that was where we started, and that was what. Took us where we Let are. Let me ask so. you about the word. The words were written before the business started, or yeah. as it was starting. Yeah, it was it a was. real manifesto. It's like yeah, it, here, was, it was. It was. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And ten years later, you're saying I would have revised it. So that's a warning for all people writing manifestos. Yeah, and I think it's like with the products that I think you can always refine, 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 refine. And but again, that was a. Uh, and actually, we did revise it a couple of years ago. We made a comment. So I made a comment to the original manifesto two years ago, actually. So. Um, so it has been altered already. Yeah, not altered. Uh, An comment, extra commented. <laughs> oh, there's. Oh, you're right. I do remember that. And the, I'll let, and I'll we, let the listeners work I that will, one out. I will keep doing that actually to come back to it and maybe. I won't change the original text, but I might add a page or two. Um, Every eight years or so, something like that. <laughs> Magnus has been a real pleasure. As Blackboard, I've learned a lot, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. 
and help us make new friends by leaving us a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Stay well and see you soon.